Alrighty, aloha everybody. I am Daniela Martinez and I'm your host for this new podcast dedicated to all things womb and mothers and babies and pregnancy and birth um, and everything related to that. And here we have a sweet beloved friend that is going to be sharing with us a lot about a very special time in the postpartum adventures, which is the breastfeeding aspect of it. So Sayaka Blakeney is an amazing doula in our community, a certified lactation counselor, mother of six wonderful children, and a sweet friend that I'm very honored to have in my life. Uh, yeah, she's been incredibly inspiring, supportive, insightful. Um, yeah, and I'm really grateful to have her here sharing her insights with you. Sayaka, welcome. Thank you, Daniela. Before yeah. we start, I want to say I am so thankful that you are part of this community too. I hope that you understand how amazing you are in this community and that you are really, I've always been calling you my angel because you are like my angel in my life and I'm so happy that you got to witness my birth with my latest child too. So thank you for your work in this community. I love you. Oh, Sayaka. <laughs> <laughs> you just made me tear up and get like the yummiest chicken skin. Thank you for all that love, Sayaka. Um, I just, you know, thank you also for the honor of uh, and blessing of inviting me into that last birth adventure with your family. And it's really special, really, in so many ways, in part just because just to see where our friendship has gone throughout the years, you know, um, we just right. had a yoga studio. I had lost my clothing because I had gone to <laughs> and left it on the top of my car. And all I had was my bathing suit and my towel. <laughs> and I walked into the yoga studio and there's a yaka. And... <laughs> And I think the first thing I said was like, who are you? Tell me everything about you. Exactly. Yeah. Where are you trying to be? And what are you doing right now? Who are yeah. you? Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is an important or a great place to start in our podcast interview conversation because, you know, that was a very pivotal time in my life where I was just about to graduate from UH Manoa in holistic medicine and I was you know, starting to dive more seriously into yoga work and starting to realize that birth work was also a very big piece of this for me, but I hadn't really, you know, started. Yeah, you weren't sure. Yeah. Right. I didn't know where to start. I just knew, sure, I love birth and woman and I want to support that, but I don't know how, but it was just kind of an idea. So meeting you was really the beginning of those ideas and interests of birth work starting to materialize um you know shortly after mm -hmm. we met you invited me to meet nikki lonsby which is um a woman here on island that by the way we're located on oahu hawaii <laughs> right who you know she has this lactation support center and we'll get into that and you know i was blessed enough to be invited to worked there on the admin side of things and I learned a lot so so very much being there um and and that's what we want to talk to you guys about is this whole lactation conversation because we need to have more of these conversations you know just more education around it more exposure to it in general so 
I yeah, think, you know, it's, it's interesting because like when I first started with Nikki as well, like mm-hmm. I was a doula already and I told her, I was like, I'm so into birth and I'm not into that breastfeeding stuff. Like I love birth and I don't really care to know too much about the lactation part of it. And I remember this look on Nikki, like, mm, okay. <laughs> and then now, now that like five years has passed, like I know why she had that look because <laughs> I feel the same exact way when I hear it. But mm-hmm. I understand, you know, that people mm-hmm. don't relate the two. I mean, it, people think that that's what happens after, but like they don't really relate the two together. But if you think about it holistically, everything is connected together. So I think it would be like a perfect segue to what we're going to talk about today, yeah, right? Big time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Why have this conversation about lactation? And, you know, it's like, well, isn't it just something like you said, doesn't it just happen? You give birth and mm-hmm. the milk just come in and the baby knows what mm-hmm. to do and you got to know what to do because it's just a biological oh, Breastfeeding, it's so natural. <laughs> it's so natural and right. it all comes naturally yeah, right. it's right. I mean, I definitely kind of thought that was just it. I mean, in some regard, why wouldn't it be? I don't understand why it's kind of not, but that's part of the yeah. realization. Yes, it's a biological thing. Yes, it's a natural thing. Yet, and, and even intuitive. And yet there's also an element of it that is, in fact, social learning and just mm-hmm. learning over time. Like there's a learning curve to it of getting to know your baby and yourself in the moment. And so it's an interesting thing where it's not just intuition, right? It's like right. more well, to it. Then, then back in the days where there was no intervention involved, yes, it was a natural thing. Yes, as long as the placenta mm-hmm. was leaving the body healthy, then the milk was coming in when nothing else was being you know, interrupted, right? So the start circle of nature like the cycle of nature of course yes when nothing was being interrupted yes but not in the modern days where there are things that's being intervened right so that's the big part of it that's not natural now right right so we are living in very different times. This is true, mm-hmm. right? So we have to juggle different elements and pieces of the story that were not relevant just 100 years ago for our species. So exactly. right, then there's that. So maybe let's wield it back a little bit to the beginning of this conversation of lactation for people. Yes. Um, uh, I mentioned this right before we started the podcast and we were just casually talking that there's this local doula i took her breast or actually it's her birth class and then the last class was a breastfeeding class and she would say you know birth is maybe one or two days and it's an important event to focus on and prepare for however let us not make like breastfeeding which is you know if you want it to be will be a much longer (laughs) part of the journey you know Mm -hmm. months years potentially so that's why we're here <laughs> is to have these conversations and get the information out there of little pieces and tools that you can pick up and take along the way um, before you're in the thick of postpartum and trying to figure it all out last minute. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely something to try to prepare yourself for. Yeah. So Let's see, I got some questions for you, Sayaka. So you were a doula, you were focused on the birth. That was like the meat of it all for you. 
and then something shifted what shifted what how what shifted what really shifted was that I sucked really bad at admin work <laughs> so <laughs> so when I first started working at Nikki's place I was I was hired as an admin like you did but not like you I am horrible at organizing paperwork and you know putting data in and all of that and calculating money and things like that. So Nikki being a creative midwife, she creates things, right? And she mm -hmm. was like, okay, all right, you are not an office girl. You need to come into the clinic and learn things. And then more and more I went there, I was like, okay, what is going on in there? I want to mm -hmm. see what's going on. And I started learning more about it and talking to Nikki who, um, is not just the midwife of 35 plus years, but she's a third generational midwife. So her mother, her grandmother are all midwives. So she has like hundred something years of midwifery knowledge, right? Um, Japanese tradition at that. And her, um, I think her side major, well, no, she majored in anthropology. Um, so she's like all about human body and nature and holistic lifestyle and it just like the things that she was telling me like some of the stuff i already knew but some things that she was talking about it's just it was a constant like eye-opening things that she was talking about but of course those are the things that i already know right because we're mm -hmm. female and then those are like the you know ancient knowledge that our body is programmed to know it's just that it's been stripped from us that i had forgotten all about it that's why it made sense to me and that's what i constantly witness in the clinic too when i'm talking to moms when i explain these things they're like that makes sense mm. that makes sense mm. because our body our cells are like reacting to what we're hearing and like oh my god i know these things like my body knows these things so yes so that's what shifted um, um, jokingly and seriously, like the fact that I sucked at admin work <laughs> and then like really watching Nikki's work. Um, and, and I got to watch some moms come in from the very beginning and then like kind of follow up and see the transition that happens within that clinic. Like that's mm -hmm. definitely what shifted for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember seeing that as being in the admin and just, you know, talking to a woman that were waiting to go into the room um, or as they'd come out or just seeing them come in over months mm -hmm. um, or even repeats after, you know, like, oh, yeah, they've been seeing her for like the past three babies um, mm -hmm. and hearing their stories of how much uh, the, the Opai massage was helpful for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember always being curious too, and and I didn't get much experience in the back room. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> what happened? But can you, you were too good at admin. That's why. Ah, <laughs> my curse. <laughs> <laughs> no, and yet I learned so much just by being in the environment. Mm -hmm. So, can you invite us and our listeners into the back room metaphorically and and share with us what is it? Um, that happens in, in okay, so like so on the surface level mm -hmm. when they come in um, the first appointment usually run from like about two and a half hours to like three hours because we do educate um, teach women because we we truly believe that 
knowledge is the power, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they're the one that has to go home and actually do these breastfeeding things, right? Like we, they spend time with us for like, you know, maybe two, three hours, but a lot of, um, a lot of people would come in and get things done, but they go home and they cannot get it done. And that was like a lot of, uh, a lot of the thing that they come in and say too, like, you know, we're like the last resource for them. Mm. They go to, they go to this place, they go to another lactation counselor. They have talked to the lactation counselor at the hospital. They had gone to these places and then we're like the last resource um, for them to come to. And all, a lot of times they've experienced people, you know, telling them, well, you're doing it right. Keep on going. Keep on doing. You're doing a good job. And they're like, no, I'm not doing a good job. That's why I don't feel good. So they'll come, come to us. And so like, you know, we will educate them on exactly what's going on um, with our body and what needs to be done. And that is another thing too that I want to address is that um, a lot of women come in or, or even the people that don't even come in, you are in the world, you hear people say like, oh yeah, my mom wasn't able to breastfeed. Mm. Oh, my friend wasn't able to breastfeed. Oh, my sister wasn't able to breastfeed. Um, out of the whole entire population in the world of women who were able to get pregnant, um, whether, whether they had treatment or not, if you are able to get pregnant, only 10% of the whole entire population of women who were able to get pregnant, whether they got miscarried, you know, they had miscarried or not, 10% is um, physiologically not capable of breastfeeding. So mm-hmm. that's a very small amount of women exactly. who yeah. cannot breastfeed. Yeah, let's harp on that a little bit because like you said, everybody knows somebody who wasn't able to breastfeed and we we just hear that getting tossed around so Mm -hmm. much of like, oh, I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to. It's like, well, what do you mean you weren't able to? Was it really that your body wasn't producing milk or was it that, Mm -hmm. you you know, there wasn't quite enough of the support there to make it happen, even though biologically you have the capacity to do so. Mm -hmm. And when you dig into these stories with people, a lot of the time you realize, oh, it's actually the second thing. Like, right. biologically could make the milk. I've met, you know, one person in the past two and a half years who could not actually make milk. And she did actually have, you know, underlying thyroid issues that she had known about already. And she had PCOS. So she did have hormonal imbalances. And yet mm-hmm. she had pulled off making milk with her first baby. It was just the second baby. It didn't quite work out. So even though she had mm-hmm. all that stuff, like one time it worked and another time it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yes. And even, even with that, to me, she's not that 10% because with proper stimulation, proper um, treatment with different type of things, um, for me, of course, essential oils. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've seen, I've seen people who come in with the same exact problem yeah. and make a huge difference. Amazing. See? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's. So when I'm, yeah, when I'm talking about that 10, percent that's like not having milk glands uh-huh. or like breast, um, breast being taken, like meaning uh-huh. not the fat tissue, not not the fatty tissue in your breast, because that's why. Um, that's why you know makes your boobs bigger yeah i like the books <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah but um but yeah like as long as you have that organ in your body and it's activated it you're not that 10 percent. 
So that 10% is the people who actually don't actually have that. Almost, almost like, you know, men not having a testicle, not being able to have a child. Like, ah, that, yeah. that's a great point. That's a great mm-hmm. point to differentiate your ability to not be able to make milk mm-hmm. as being like a bio, um, like a physical mm-hmm. barrier where, you know, you literally don't have the glands to make the milk mm-hmm. versus perhaps some choices in lifestyle and food styles have perhaps led you to that point right could be reversed with other choices exactly good point point. gotcha yeah okay all right yeah so after after we do educate the moms then we would um take a look at you physically Mm-hmm. You would be laying on the bed, and then the word massage sometimes throw people off, but yeah. it's not the kind of massage you get from a spa. <laughs> but we do massage the breast tissues and stimulate and get. <clears throat> so, for mom who is not producing that much, we would stimulate, um, mimic the baby's motion, and then stimulate and then um, clear out whatever that needs to clear out to stimulate the brain to make more um, milk, women who are coming in with clogged duct, we will clear that out. So I always tell moms, like baby does it the best. Uh-huh. We come second and pump is the last option. Because mm. pump, pump really won't do what they make it out for it to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're going to dive into that one too. Yeah. We have someone that we know now who kind of ended up in a not a happy situation because of relying on the pump so much Mm -hmm. well let's dive into it now can you break down for us you know why is the pump not as efficient and what are some of the issues that might come up from depending on it yeah first of all this country i think is the only country i've known so far that all the moms are talking about pumping. Like mm-hmm. pump, pump is one of the things that they prepare, you know, yeah. like a, along with the diapers and the onesies and the blankets and pump is in the list. And the insurance covered the pump. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but they won't cover a lactation consultant to come to your house afterwards. <laughs> no, it's, it's bizarre to me. But like if you are not going back to work in six weeks, and if you are going to be with the baby, you, you don't need a pump. You really don't need a pump. Even if you are going back to work in six weeks, you don't need a pump in the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. it, you don't need it. You just don't need pump. Mm-hmm. And so there's six layers to the milk glands, right? So where, where the milk is being made, there's about six layers um, mm-hmm. inside your breast. And it, for the, the, sorry, five layers, five layers in the, the milk glands are in five layers. Okay. And that five layers, it, in order for the five layers to develop completely, it takes about 12 weeks, just like how some fourth grader would start a period and some eighth grader would start a period. It really depends on who you are, but up, like around average 12 weeks, it takes about 12 weeks for the whole five layers to develop. When the babies are first born, first time mom, I would say about one or the second layers starting to work. Um, and pump can only get to the third layers. Mm. And the baby can get to the whole entire layers. Wow. So that's why we don't 
need the pump. If you have a baby who is able to latch on, you don't need the pump. You rather have the baby to latch on you than for you to pull out that big bag of pump and then connect it all together, mm-hmm. connect it to the wall, and you know, do all of that. Like, just wake your baby up and latch your baby onto your breast, and voila. Wow. Oh, and don't, is... and don't get me wrong. I understand yeah, some moms yeah. have the hardest time to latch the baby on. Yeah. So in that case, um, or, or, or in the case of the baby being a preemie or, you know, whatever reason it is, the baby's too sleepy and then the baby's not waking up or whatever. Yes, the pump comes in to, but like still, still then you, it's much better to wake the baby up. And there are so many different ways where you can wake up your baby and, flash the baby on um, and not use the pump. So like I, I really want all the moms to forget about the pump until about um, I would say about four weeks, five weeks. Like it really should be like banned in this country for moms to use pumps until like third, <laughs> fourth week if they want to breastfeed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and I guess I'll take a moment here to do, like, a little disclaimer before anyone gets offended that we're talk. you know, we're not trying to talk down. No, we're not trying to have any, yeah. But if you didn't breastfeed and you only pumped or you only bought, that's not what this is about. This is just, it's what we started the conversation out with, is was by saying that there is an oversaturation or I'm sorry, <laughs> there is a lack of saturation of information regarding breastfeeding, right? And now you're mm-hmm. pointing out that people are very familiar with the pumps, right? It's all about mm-hmm. the pumps. So when we talk about postpartum and breastfeeding, pumps the first thing that people talk about. There's a place for it, but it's not the first thing, you know? Mm-hmm. We need, so there's enough information out there for people to learn about pumping and all that fun stuff, whatever. <laughs> but there isn't much information like this that just supports regular biological anatomical feeding so pump pump is amazing when you you know when your baby has to be in a NICU and you know you can't physically latch the baby on or right you know whatever whatever the unique case may be right right but it's a unique circumstance it's an emergency urgent particular circumstance which isn't everybody's situation and you don't really know if you're going to be in that situation so instead of only focusing on emergent or urgent kind of care we're trying to focus on when hey when everything's just normal and typical this is information that's useful and relative (laughs) right yeah even then you would want to have a hospital grade which would reach probably to the fourth layer like no uh, pump, I don't uh, think would reach to the fifth layer. Okay, the hospital grade would reach to about like fourth layer. Okay, yeah. which isn't what insurance covers, though, right? No. So that's not what most people just have at home. It's right. not what you get off the shelf at Target. Nope. <laughs> right. Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, I really want. Uh, I mean, I already harped on it, but that's a really incredible golden nugget that you just offered of getting in that a pump will go three layers deep when a baby can make it to all layers, which is five. Um, because again, you know, I just um, have been supporting someone who they kind of left the hospital just focusing on pumping for feeding. 
and didn't really nail down how to latch and get a rhythm with latching and baby. And, and like you said, it's hard, you know, it doesn't just come so easy, especially if there's all these interventions in the way. So it can be challenging, um, but it's worth trying to engage with these challenges because what happens when, you know, you're just relying on the pump to get the milk out to feed baby, well, you're not getting deep enough. And what happens? Well, in this particular case, you know, it's led to clot ducts and mastitis and uh, at least a two night admission at a hospital because the infection of mastitis was so bad <laughs> from relying yeah. on a press pump to be the only way of really clearing out the milk. Yeah. And I want to mention too, um, not only pump reaches to the third layer, but no matter how hard they try to mimic it, they don't do the same exact motion as the baby's mouth does. So mm -hmm. it it does it it does the jerking of the nipple. Right. right. But it's it's not it's not the same as what the baby does with their mouth. So so I say about in the very first um, six weeks or so um, what you're seeing with the pump, what you're, um, what you're pumping with the pump, just, just gauge maybe that's like one third of what the baby is getting. Mm. So the pump can only get maybe like one third. I mean, again, it varies with woman sure, as sure. well, but I would say about one third. And after like six weeks, six weeks and on, I would say half. So if you're getting like two, two ounces, like just, just maybe like an average about gauge about maybe like four ounces of milk is what your baby is actually getting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he, so just to clarify, your baby is the most efficient pump around. <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, mom, mom like that would come in and be like, I only get like one ounce with like pumps. I'm not yeah. making enough. But no, your baby is actually getting way more than that, like way more yeah, than that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, let's get into the other layer of that too, that, you know, breastfeeding is so much more than just feeding nutrients from your breast. That is certainly an important big aspect of it, but it, it goes, you know, as far as the human contact, the bonding, emotional bonding, you know, yumminess, you know, the hormones get flowing with, within mom and baby. And that's an important aspect of relaxing enough to let the letdown happen and the milk to go through, right? Which is a very different relationship that you can have with your baby than you can really have with the pump. I mean, you can love your pump a whole lot, but, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but it's still not going to be that yummy bonding of relaxing that milk flow out of your breast. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, your baby's receiving so much more than just this rich, 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 rich liquid out of your breast. It's receiving right. and love and support. And that's important for baby just as much as the breastfeeding individual. Yes, yes. Since you're talking about that, I do yeah. want to mention when your baby latches onto your nipple, your areola, if you take a look yeah. at your areola, if you are listening to this and, you know, in a private place where you can look at your areola, areola is that round circle around your nipple, right? That, that's normally the same color. And then you would see those little bumps and those bumps that you think is just the bumps, those are like our computer. Like it's smarter than your smartphone that you have in your hand those things will calculate when it's 
attached by your baby's saliva, it calculates your baby's saliva to measure what are the minerals and vitamins and whatever iron that your baby needs for that day. So the milk that I'm pumping, if I were to pump, because I don't really pump because I'm always with my baby, but <laughs> my milk that I pumped yesterday is a different substance from what I would be pumping today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that is the beauty of our intelligent woman. Oh, body. yeah. All right. <laughs> we got to keep going down this rabbit hole because it's a fun one, you know, uh-huh. of how the breast respond to your baby's unique mm-hmm. needs and how is able to um know what that is right mm-hmm. like, and i think you can even google um image this too like a mother who was tandem feeding a, yeah the, her son yeah. one was like three-year-old and the other one was newborn and so she just decided that newborn is going to have a right side and the three-year-old is going to have a left side and it's a completely different color completely different amount. Um, I wouldn't suggest you go and try because, you know, you would end up with like a lopsided different <laughs> breast, you know, if you can do them yeah. both together. But they, it was a really amazing study that this lady did um, with the cost of her body. So like, if you are curious to see that, you can probably Google image it. And that's the proof right there that our breast calculates the saliva. Yeah, I definitely encourage you guys go out and look up that image. It is very spectacular. And the woman breaks down Mm -hmm. her story of how she went about doing that. Um, You know, it's just a very visually clear demonstration of Mm -hmm. the milk. It just looks very different in one bottle versus the other one. Um, So also with like preemies, the body makes different kind of colostrum and milk for these preemie babies. Like your body knows mm-hmm. this little newborn needs a different ratio of fats and proteins and certain types of antibodies than if it were a full term baby. So it, it adapts to the moment in ways that other options simply don't. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Um, if you're sick, you know, you're not going to, usually pass along your sickness to baby what you will pass along is antibodies to baby Mm -hmm. right um that again are just kind of created in the moment and you can pass those along so your immunity can become your baby's immunity um yeah right and and maybe your baby's sick but you're not sick but your body can still create immunities to support your baby yeah yeah. Oh, and then there's that one experiment that somebody did where um, they actually had little petri dishes, and they had different kinds of bacterias, and mm-hmm. they put the breast milk in it, and different types of things to suppress the growth of the um, germs. Bacteria. And the breast mm-hmm. milk was like incredible at preventing um, some yeah. of those germs from growing. Yeah. yeah. So fun fact, if you do have a pink eye and then you are breastfeeding, your breast milk would work really well. Really well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Or any cuts too. But yeah, that one that one is a really good one. Like in fact, like I have cured my husband and my um daughter's pink eye with my breast milk. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It is rich stuff. It's not just 
nutrients, it's medicine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And just the fact that blood, you know, milk is made with blood and blood is red, mm -hmm. but somehow when it goes through this amazing system, right. it turns into a white liquid. It's amazing. amazing. It really is. There is this one family who um, their toddler was having digestive issues and mm -hmm. was having lots of um, uh, just cow milk and he would kind of mm. puke often and mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, he's got a hard time digesting food. And so she has her baby, she has an incredible amount of supply and she starts collecting some of it on the other side with the haka and mm -hmm. she collects enough to feed it to her toddler and one the baby loved it the toddler loved it he took right to it and they were able to stop the cow's milk and mm -hmm. that has really helped the digestive stuff stabilize so you know it's mm -hmm. so you know yes the thing with cow's milk and how that can be um harsh on the digestive system and also just the benefits of breast milk in a medicinal healing way <laughs> right i mean because you know that breast milk i mean breast milk is made to raise human being yeah exactly and then there's that one <laughs> right yeah exactly yeah. so um take us more into what kind of things moms tend to come to you for what kind of help they're seeking and what kind of things um, you're able to help address with the yes. opai massage. So, Am I correct when I call it the opai massage? Yeah, you did. Opai is a Japanese word for it. It's more like a more like boob rather than breast. Okay. Opai is more like boob, so like okay. it's like boob massage, right? Yeah. And is that what it's? Well, what is it called back home? Well, what? Say it again. What is it? The the practice with the uh -huh. massaging of the breast for yeah breast massage. Support. Yeah, what, what do you call it? it? Yeah. Uh, I think it's I think people will call that oppai massage yeah. in Japanese, but I mean breast massage. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I believe so. But I mean like I never became a mom in Japan, so right. I was not exposed to this. Um I left Japan when I was 9, so I do have a lot of a lot of essence in the culture background of Japanese back, um, culture, but I don't know what, I think it's called Opai Massage in Japan okay. too. Yeah, yeah, I believe All so. Right. But um, yeah, I would say about 60% of the people that comes into the clinic is um, worried about the low supply. And 40% um, or 30% of the people um, they have mastitis or, you know, clogged duct or, um, which is like, you know, oversupply sometimes. Um, and then 10% is just very proactive. So they will come in while they're pregnant. Mm. And because um, we can tell which one has more milk glands and which one is producing more. And then we'll be able to see, you know, what kind of cholesterol they're starting to produce and we can guide them to see which side they should start left or right when the baby arrives um on what position to start mm. yeah so normally it's either football or cradle cradle yeah. is like regular holding babies you know and then football is like sideways where it's oh i always think it's funny that we call it football because not a lot of women 
play football. I don't even know how to hold the football. I, I don't even know the rules to the football. I don't know how, I don't know how they hold football. So I just know it as football. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we need to come up with a better, better um, way of it. But you know. That's but that's point. what it, that's what it's called and that's what <laughs> okay. people know it as you know, yeah yeah football yeah okay all right so I, I would say that's around yeah so yeah people who have low supply who, who who believe they have low supply right um and out of those 60 percent of the people who believe that they have low supply who are worried about having low supply i would say 80% of the women don't have low supply. It's all in their head because mm-hmm. it's their first time um, because the baby is not transparent and our breast is not transparent. <laughs> and we live in such a world where like right. number is so mm-hmm. important, right? So, right. you know, wh- wherever you go, number, like they ask you in the hospital, how many times are you breastfeeding? How, how long are you breastfeeding on we- each side? And, you know, like how much are you producing? So like, you know, you cannot see that when the baby's latched onto your body. Mm-hmm. But there are other ways. Like back in the days when we didn't have scales and bottles to measure, um, they they were able to tell through different ways, and that's what we kind of teach over there mm-hmm. how to look at that. Yeah, wonderful. You teach them how to know if they're actually getting enough into their baby. Mm-hmm. And as you know, like babies don't, you know, because before when I became a mother when I was 18, I don't know why this is, but I thought babies cried when the diapers were wet mm-hmm. or when they were hungry. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that babies cried of any other reasons, <laughs> yeah. which is to me now is bizarre because like, you know, we have so many different needs in this world, right? Like, yeah. so... It's not just diapers. And most of the times, newborn babies don't even cry when they wet their diapers, mm. you know? So, mm. so they have other reasons why they're crying. And yeah. you just kind of have to um, learn to see what that is. Totally, right. And then there's the piece where, of course, intuition is very much yes. so an important part of this relationship mm-hmm. with your baby and your breastfeeding mm-hmm. journey. It's just not the only piece. Um, and right. some people have more success, you know, you know, being just feeling their way through the journey um, than others. Um, but either way, it's definitely an important piece to tap into and not just overly rely on all the textbook information either because mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's balancing yeah. all of the cognitive knowledge and the intuitive knowledge too. Yeah. So, so the, biggest one, the biggest one is that a lot of people think that the baby is crying after feeding so the baby still must be hungry and I don't mm-hmm. have enough. But mm-hmm. most of the times when they come in with that problem, they're, the baby is crying because they're too full and their stomach is hurting. Uh, so they're crying. Uh, but... A lot, of time, a lot of times because they think that they don't have enough milk. So they right. will go on to give in the formula. Um, right. When the formula is given by the bottle, it, there's no control for the baby. So right. more comes in. And imagine how you feel when you had that one way too many plate at your Ooh. family's Thanksgiving Ooh. dinner, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's how your baby's feeling all the time. And that's why the baby's crying all the time. But the mother um, is 
is um, not educated to understand oh. that they're crying with that. So they would, of course, the only thing they go to is like, oh, she must still be hungry and then feed more. So the bad oh, cycle starts right. to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That I can see how that would lead to a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, okay. So guide us into some more common misconception or myths. Take this time to dispel all those misconceptions that are common um like that's that's one of them oh, right that's the, exactly. that's the biggest one that's the biggest one that's definitely the biggest one where like they think that the baby's still hungry um another one oh you know what another big one is that when the lactogenesis which when your cholesterol turns into white milk that's called lactogenesis. When the lactogenesis happens, so when you first become a mother, when you first give birth to the baby, your body, whether it's first time or the second time or the third time, your body still is like, like you know, is rushed into doing all these different things. Like woman's body go through it so much. So when the placenta leaves our body, our body is told to go in and make the milk right away. And our body is like with all these hormonal changes, we're, our body is like, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> so we're basically in panic mode. And when that happens, we don't know how much milk to make, but we know that we need to make the milk. So mm-hmm. you get engorged. A lot of moms, um, especially if you're having um, hospital birth, you fill your breast because coming so engorged one morning you wake up and you have like completely different breasts on you and they remember that humongous engorged breast as full breast because that's when they first start seeing the milk uh-huh. coming out and all of that but that is a total misconception of full breast that's a confused breast so your breast should never look like that after that uh-huh. So that should be like the only time your breast is ever engorged is when the first kicking happen and your body is like super confused. And once baby eats and then the um, um, demand and supply starts to have a balance and your body starts to communicate with your baby's saliva, your breast should calm down back and become softer. They become heavy when you're full but they should not be hard. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are like, well, they don't get hard like you used to. Oh. I don't have milk. And we're like, they're not supposed to be hard. Oh, that is such a good one. Yes. Right. And then when they don't get full and engorged and hard like that, they think that mm-hmm. they're not producing enough. Right. Wow. Okay. That's a really that. big one. Mm. Yeah. And then another one is the word empty. Oh, I got to go oh. empty out. I gotta go empty out. Oh, my baby ate, so it's empty. Like you are not ever empty. Just like mm-hmm. you, you can cry your eyes out, and then mm-hmm. you still should have some kind of tears in your eyes, or your eye eyeballs will be, get too dry, right? Yeah. And get infected or whatever. Right. Um, as long as you got blood, you are not empty. You're not empty. It takes about again depending on who you are but it takes about five to 15 minutes for um you to refill but um it's it's harder to kind of explain without the image but so your breast um breast glands are kind of like in grapes Mm -hmm. and then in those little grapes turn into like broccolis 
So you have a whole bunch of little tiny bags in, in your breast. And so while one is being emptied, the other one is making milk. Mm. And while this one is emptying, the other one is making. So really, technically, you are not empty. So just because your baby just ate or just because you pumped, that does not mean that you cannot produce any more milk. Yes, there will be less, less liquid. Yes, it will mm-hmm. be less. But it's really, it's never empty. So the word emptying is quite misleading. Wow. You're, you're releasing, yeah. you're releasing most of it. And then when your baby does do that sucking, a lot of them does leave your body. But you can still go back to, I mean, the baby can still go back to it, which a lot of babies do want to do that. Because you, mm-hmm. when, when you eat, let's say you eat at six o'clock, you eat your dinner. 6.30, you're in the cabinet looking for a snack, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and around 6.35, you want to drink water. Mm-hmm. And you drink water, but around like 6.45, you want to make yourself a tea. Yeah. Right? So all of that is all breast milk for the baby. Baby cannot have anything other than breast milk. But, you know, your baby may not be hungry, but just want to have a little bit of dessert. And yeah. And the only way your baby knows how to communicate with you is to fuss and cry, which a lot of people think they're hungry, but they're not hungry. They yeah. just want to snack a little bit. Or they might just want to cuddle while mm. she's sucking on the nipple, which have the effect of milk coming out, but that doesn't mean, you know, it's a soothing mechanism for them. So they, they're not necessarily hungry, but they, just want, they might want to latch just because. And then when the breast milk comes out and the result to them latching, they know how to take care of that. And that's why they would spit up. Right. Yeah. Oh, that is great, great insight. Thank you for that perspective. Uh, it reminds me of something I read the other day of people, you know, this was a response. You know how people often say, I was like, oh, don't let your baby use you as a pacifier. Or maybe it was just using me as a pacifier. Um, and they kind of Which use it like in a bad way though, right? People are mm-hmm. like, oh, don't let them. It's like, that's a bad habit. They're just using you to suck on, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the response that I thought was so witty and brilliant was like, no, the baby is using a pacifier is you, right? Mm-hmm. So the purpose of mm-hmm. pacifiers that people buy is to try to replace that connection with mom. That well, thank you so much for <laughs> reminding me of that because yes, and it is so much better that the baby's using you as a pacifier because when the baby uses you as a pacifier, the milk does come out, which is a mm-hmm. proper reaction. When, so they, when they move over here, the pituitary gland, they, it, it's connected. So this is the very holistic part of it. So when they move their upper lip to suck on the nipple over mm-hmm. here in between their nose and their upper lip, like over here, there's a sensor for their baby. And when they move this to suck on the breast, their stomach gets ready to digest the food. Mm. So when you're using a pacifier that does not produce any breast milk, when they're pacifying it and then using their, they're moving it, um, your, their, the stomach acid starts to come out to try to digest their, the breast milk that's supposed to be coming in. So... A lot of babies that are gassy, they're using pacifiers because 
you know, they're, they're using that. I mean, I mean, they're using the pacifier and then the stomach is expecting milk to come for the stomach acid to digest, but there's no milk that's coming out. So the stomach acid is left to get gassy. Wow. Oh man, Sayaka, you yes. just blew my mind. I was unaware of this <laughs> and it makes so much sense. Of course, right. it would stimulate, right. you know, these same um, digestive juices to be secreted, but there's nothing to digest. And mm-hmm. makes so it is sense. much better that the baby is pacifying on your breast where right. the breast milk will be re- produced for the stomach yeah. acid to digest and if it's too much then again the baby will spit up and that's a natural biological thing for them to do it's like a hairball with the cat and dogs (laughs) dogs eat grass when they know they need to do that right like they'll purposely eat rocks and grass for them to be able to throw up great great yeah Mm -hmm. i i want to highlight something you just said earlier that i find is very helpful for people to hear that um Baby sucking is what calls in your milk and it is what continues the production of milk. It is what sends the message to your body to make the milk, right? Sucking happens and then it goes to the, is it the hypothalamus or the pituitary gland? Well, it goes to somewhere Um, in the brain, right? mm -hmm. To send the message Um, and then it goes. So the sucking releases oxytocin and prolactin. Right. And prolactin is what makes the milk. Right. So to bring the milk in in the first place, you got to be letting your baby do its sucking often on you. And then to keep the milk up, you got to keep that up too. So I find that that's Mm -hmm. a very, it's a positive feedback loop, right? So Mm -hmm. that has been helpful for people to, as far as just understanding how they work and, and why feeding on demand and letting their baby feed every 30 minutes or an hour on Mm -hmm. them you know why did that work matter (laughs) exactly and then for the mother's body when the baby sucks our our breast is connected to our stomach so we get hungry Mm. when the baby eats like normally when we start the massage um a healthy woman who's completely connected um will start to hear their stomach grumble Oh. And we're we're very happy to hear that. That means that her body is functioning properly. Oh, how yeah. bad. Okay, yeah. I love it. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, oh, the, um, a lot, another myth that I kind of randomly wanted to share, or, or maybe it's not a myth, it's just something that's commonly not understood and freaks people out a lot, is once your baby's born, and like Sayaka mentioned, the placenta leaving the body is part of sending your body the hormonal messages that it's time to start making milk and colostrum or more colostrum. Um, So between the birth, so after the birth, there's usually a little bit of weight before the milk fully comes in. And on average, that weight tends to be about three days. And I find a lot of people, you know, if they're unaware of that, they kind of freak out, right? Um, So in those three days, naturally, your baby will lose some weight. And that's normal and expected within a certain amount of it, right? And then within three days, sometimes it's two days or four days, the milk comes in and then your baby's weight starts going up, right? So that's normal. You do have some colostrum coming in. It's a little bit, but it's very rich and dense in nutrients. And it's just what babies need biologically. That's what they're made to survive off of right? So it might not seem like a whole much is coming through, 
but it's just what babies were designed to receive. I've seen people really freak out, you know, within like the first day and be like, I'm not making enough or the grandmas freak out. And then they want to give the babies water. And that can be way more dangerous to a baby and lead oh, to dehydration. Very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've seen people want to do that. And I've seen people actually do it. Yeah, it's very dangerous to give water to mm-hmm. babies because their body is not meant to have anything other than Yeah, um, it's amazing. Right? Milk. It'll yeah. flush right through them. And then it will just diarrhea. And then you have a severely dehydrated baby. Um, which a good measurement is the meconium. So you wanna you wanna measure how much meconium, which is that green tarish um, doo doo that they have. As long as they're pushing green tarry doo doo, their their digestive system is not ready to really receive that white milk. So like it's okay that the baby's only having meconium. And on top of that, Google image newborn baby's stomach size. Mm-hmm. It's, Mm-hmm. tiny it's super tiny it's like a marble size so they don't need nothing but two milliliter which is like yeah. very 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 small amount right that little yeah. bit will keep your baby full hydrated meet its nutritional needs um, and that's really and what your baby even if off. yeah and yeah. even if nothing is coming out let the baby suck on your nipple and yeah. soothe yeah. Right. They're not right. they're not crying because they're hungry. They're crying because they got pushed out of a very comfortable, warm, dark, <laughs> same yeah. same smell everyday kind of place to different smell, different energy, different voice, lights. You know, it's it's crazy for them. It's right. very, very far away from where they were a few few hours ago. Right. Changes can sometimes be uncomfortable. So, you know, it's like comforting your baby with a hug, letting them know it's in a safe new place. Like, I mean, when we go through the changes, it's when we go on vacation, weird. right? <laughs> Even on vacation, we want to yeah. go there. We wanted to leave. When home. you wake up in the it's morning, weird. you're like, uh, oh yeah, that's right. It's like, I'm in Vegas. <laughs> right, right. All right. It's a transition for everybody. Totally. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know what? I might as well go into it. There's this, maybe you saw this article that's been circulating for like the past year of this one mom who was so just hell bent on breastfeeding her baby. And then it turns out the baby wasn't getting enough food and ended up passing away. And then it's circulating. And I've had a few moms totally freak out about that. Mm -hmm. And then again, end up either jumping well, often jumping to formula before their milk is even in because they're freaked out about the notion of not making enough, right? I think we mm-hmm. live in a society where not being enough is a um, right. it's kind of like a epidemic. Fear. It's an epidemic, mm-hmm. yeah. It sure um, is, yes. So, so a lot of people kind of go into the journey with that thought in mind and thinking about this newborn that passed away. And it turns out that that mom actually also had a hormonal imbalance going on so she was not, in fact, making enough milk. So that's the part of, like, you know, you really got to check in with so many different ways because mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. should have been easy enough to figure out that there wasn't enough making it into the baby. Right. Um, so, you know, there's lots of ways of checking in and, and do it. But, you know, when that was being circulated, the article was very clear that it was just a fear-mongering response to this rise of women that are reclaiming breastfeeding Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in a world where you know 
formula corporations and industries have completely taken dominance over the postpartum time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, here's a woman trying to be like, um, hold on a second, let us reclaim <laughs> our innate right. wisdom. Um, yeah. And then they threw out that article and everyone kind of flipped out. So I've had people freak out because they don't understand that, you know, naturally you're not going to have milk as soon as you give birth and that naturally babies are designed to thrive off of very minimal amounts of colostrum for a few days and that losing weight is okay. Um, so I just, yeah. And then just, it's a common that I see. And what I was telling you earlier, like just, you know, make a note whether, whether, um, no judge on what you decide to do with the birth, but when you do use epidural, um, and then most likely would end up in Pitocin use a lot of times when you do that, um, it will be delayed. It will be delayed. Milk coming in will be delayed. Um, just because there's so much fluid that your body has to process before they can process the milk to go to the breast and do all of that. Um, there's extra fluid that goes into your body that your body has to um, process out before they can focus on the breast. So it will be delayed. And, you know, if you are planning on using all of those interventions, um, then keep that in your mind so you're not freaking yourself out with milk coming in late yeah so thank you let's dive into just that various interventions and their potential and common effects on breastfeeding and milk supply and babies um so along these lines of having extra fluid to process um with right when individuals have an epidural that often involves also the IV drip, right? And depending on how long that labor mm-hmm. might be, you might be receiving a lot of fluids. Um, and it's not just you receiving the fluids, your baby ends up receiving these fluids, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we have babies that kind of come out, they're a little bit, yeah. a little swollen because they have all these extra fluids that have gone into them. And so what does that mean afterwards? Well, that baby has to process those fluids too. So they'll pee a lot more and they'll lose often a lot more weight than quote-unquote normal but it can still be okay because it's extra weight anyways that they took right. on during the labor from those fluids so I've seen that sometimes be a thing where it's like oh your baby's losing too much weight and now we're concerned and now we want to push formula but they're not considering that in yeah. the fact that they're going to come out swollen with the fluid yeah right right so it's just something to consider when you're making these decisions and also as you're going through the journey of the newborn um and assessing their needs and where they're at, that's um, a, a normal aspect of receiving extra fluids. Maybe losing extra weight. Right. Um, so that's one common thing I've seen. Um, what other effects on intervention have you seen? What about the effects of extra IV fluids on moms and milk production? Or Yeah, so like I, yeah, like I said, mom would have to process all that milk, yeah. so it'll be a little bit later. Um, another thing is that um, the re- well, so kind of go into the detail of what happens, like why it, it's delayed, is because um, pitocin is a synthetic version of oxytocin. Oxytocin is a natural hormone that we release when we're in labor and also when we are breastfeeding, also while we're having sex too. But um, more, more important here about birth and um, breastfeeding 
And so when, when, when we're giving birth, oxytocin is released and that's oxytocin is mainly the, its main job is to contract muscle and push the baby out of the uterus. Once the placenta leaves our body, oxytocin goes into our breast to help with the production of the milk. What happens is that when pitocin comes in, so pitocin, imagine, um, imagine a very bossy manager that tells you, doesn't teach you how to do things, but tells you what to do. Mm. Um, that's how pitocin is. It's like, a, it's like a mean army general that's just like one way and go, go, go. So it would do the muscle contracting that you need for birth. But while pitocin's in the body, your natural pit- oxytocin is like, oh my God, who are these people? Like, they're so scary. <sighs> and then they go back in their hatch and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so scary. Yeah. And then until the last bit of pitocin leaves your system, the oxytocin is so scary, it cannot come out. Mm-hmm. So it has to wait for the pitocin to completely leave mm-hmm. and they can finally come back and be like, is everything okay? Can we do what we do mm-hmm. in here? And that's when the lactogenesis is happening. So like, it takes a while for that oxytocin to come into your body to help with the breastfeeding so that's one of the reason why that happens um on top of all the fluid that you have in your body which is like saline right um and another thing that happens because you have so much fluid in your body um your so you would experience like edema in your breast too um when the areola is swollen mm-hmm. the latch gets messed up so the alignment of the latching gets messed up and that's when a lot of people will see oh my baby's not latching Mm. um that's because your areola is more swollen than it should be and it's so much harder for that little tiny newborn mouth to latch on and press on that the, the baby's mouth has to press on the areola in order for the milk to come out. A lot of people think they're on your nipple. Like we say nipples, but baby's actually not on your nipple tip. If your baby's on the nipple tip, you would be in pain. You want your baby to be on your areola, but right. they cannot be on the areola because it's swollen. So they slip mm. and then they get on the nipple tip. So not only the baby cannot latch on properly and get the proper milk out of you, um, they become tired because more and more like they're working so hard with their little tiny body and that's like the only job they have right like their only job that they have is to breathe digest and eat um, uh, and sleep mm-hmm. but but it's it's kind of messed up because you know their tiny bodies trying to work on it but nothing is coming out so they get so tired and they fall asleep mm. um, Right. So like that, that's how this whole like crazy cycle happens. But, um, and then they slip. So not only they're not eating an um, efficient amount, but mom starts to have this sore nipple because Mm -hmm. they're not latching properly and they're latching on a nipple tip. So that's, that's what happens. So, and then that's, that's when a lot of lactation consultant cannot do anything about it mm. because we, the mom really needs the breast massage then. The pump uh, will not uh, be able to do anything about that. The pump will just do the jerking and even sometimes damage the nipple tissue, the muscle mm. tissue on the nipple. 
So the massage can help with that extra fluid edema to come down quicker? Is that what you're um, saying? Yeah, so like we will extract the milk that needs to come out and then we will okay. also soften the tissue in, the, not tissue, but the um, muscle in the areola. Mm. So it makes it so much easier for the baby to latch on because it's softer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. See, that is just really amazing to hear that that's even possible and something that you offer. And that's why I wanted to dive into this podcast conversation with you so that people can hear this, that this is an option. It might not be a common option because this is a Japanese practice and we're in the States. Um, but it's needed. We need this to be more common somehow. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. so can you dive, can you share with us um, about the practice in Japan? Cause if I'm correct, it is in fact rather common there. Oh, very common. So, so, um, you know how it is over here in the States, like, you know, there are different doctors, right? Like doctors mm-hmm. for feet, doctors for eyes, doctors for ear, nose, and, um, what else? Mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are actually when you go to a hospital, um, there is actually a section for that, for breasts okay. only. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, in in that matter, so not like breast enhancement or anything like that, but oh, just right. like the breast. Yeah, the nursing breasts. For nursing that. breasts. <laughs> right. Right. Specifically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So well, something- it's which which unfortunately is a dying um, art because Japan is, a lot of people don't realize it, but Japan is um, not officially, but basically a territory of the U.S. A lot of people don't understand that, but, you know, because like background um, World War II, Japan lost. So pretty much the American government is in control of Japanese government, although it's not very official. So everything that happens in the States is slowly coming into Japan. So a lot of people are doing um, more um, epidural and, you know, things like that. Um, a lot of midwives are starting. Um, but it's also, it, but it's still there. It's definitely still there. So like even a nurse midwife in Japan knows how to um, surfacely do this. Not to the depth of how Nikki can do it, but sure. yeah they have they have an understanding um, right. of how to do it they don't have the detailed understanding of all of these things that i just talked about but sure. they know how to do it so whether they understand how it works or not but they can actually kind of do it so they can help okay and does it tend yeah. to be offered at least on some level postpartum in the hospitals mm-hmm. yeah because in japan they stay um Recently, again, this is another thing that they're oh, changing, changing, which is kind of sad. But <sighs> normally, they can stay. They used to stay a whole week after birth, okay. so they watch the lactogenesis happening and the whole staff too. So not just the um, gynecologist, but like you know, um, I mean, OBGYN and the midwife and these um, different different doctors get together in the morning and they even have a briefing on these moms so they can look at it more holy i mean because the because the um concept of holistic care is a japanese traditional way of healthcare period so they will look at it that way Mm, which is changing though which is changing yeah right worldwide that's the trend that's Mm -hmm. the pattern it's the western cultural hegemony dominating any other culture and taking Mm -hmm. precedence and squashing out 
any yeah, other so, type of wisdom and perspective. So, so this is common. This is common in Japan, Korea, and China as well. Ah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing your part in keeping this practice alive um, here on Oahu. I value you and the clinic so much for bringing this forth. Um, that's why I really brought you on. I want to talk about this. And um, you know what? Don't you share with us how people can get a hold of you? You know, if you're on Oahu, you know, unfortunately, this is not a digital service. It has to be provided in person. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, um, at least we do have that option or you make this option available for individuals on the island of Oahu. Um, would you like to share how they can get a hold of you if they are, you know, hapai, thinking about getting hapai pregnant, they want to start learning about this and to set themselves up to be prepared for the journey? Yeah, well, um, right now I'm working out of the clinic, Honolulu Breastfeeding and Wellness Center. Mm-hmm. I um, and that's that's the best way to reach me. Okay. But um, I'm very flexible. I could um personally do the service as well. Beautiful. Um, Is there an email that they can reach out to you or the clinic through? Um, I don't have that prepared that's so (laughs) yeah i can give you that later and then you can um i will link it to wherever this podcast ends up we will the information to reach out to sayaka for this kind of support right all right that will be there um and for those that you know don't live on oahu what kind of tips do you suggest for them on how to prepare for this Um, journey well, like I said, there are, like, you know, this is kind of a practice, like standard practice for midwives. And there are a lot of actually like midwives um, secretly living in the States <laughs> uh-huh. who does not practice as a midwife anymore because of, uh, you know, the, um, the certified or whatever um, problem that, because, like, you know, Japanese education cannot be translated in the American education. So, like, they have to go through a whole nursery um, education with the with with Japanese government, and then when they come over here, they have to go through that. So they won't do that, but they do have an experience of being a midwife, and they know how to do it. So you can you know kind of ask around. Also, you know, look it up on the internet too. They might there might be a midwife like Nikki who's in your area who's secretly practicing this. Who knows, right? So um, one thing is to look and see, and then another is to um gosh i don't know like you know if there isn't any then i'm not sure what they can do but um maybe they can you know i don't know maybe i can reach out well i mean they can reach out to me and then we can get on the call like this on the zoom yeah. and i can show them what they can do like it is sometimes harder though like when i sure. get mastitis i can't even mas- massage myself out most of the time oh okay. so it might be harder but i can definitely do like a consultation um and um and we can come up with some kind of plan for payment um and then be able to you know like it might be it might be a new thing that i can create like you know it might be kind of funny to be having your breasts out in front of your camera or your phone at that or ipad (laughs) but that's much better than nothing so i can definitely um 
look into that. Yeah, I completely agree, Sayaka, because I mean, something is better than nothing, right? Exactly. Um, yep. And I have heard from quite a few individuals that ended up getting on the phone on FaceTime or some sort of video conferencing with a mm-hmm. lactation support individual and that it was mm-hmm. helpful. Of course, yeah. it's never I the actually have in person that, yeah. or you hands right. on since it's not just information, it is in fact mm-hmm. a massage, you know, so of course it will be different. Right. Um, but again, if they are somewhere where they're not getting enough support or the support that mm-hmm. they have, you know, they have some and then they're still kind of in a predicament, you know, at least they have something. So, right. you know, not wanting to leave the house because you have a newborn and that's just not convenient, right. you know? All right. Well, then do a little phone consult thing. I highly encourage you to set that up. Um, yeah. So when we put down your information, um, we're putting it out there. It's free game. You know, if you want to tap into one-on-one phone consults or video consults with Sayaka, mm-hmm. down to embrace this new thing. <laughs> well, that, that for me, I can um, give out the email. My email is mama, as in mama, like M-A-M-A. Uh-huh. Love, like L-U-V. Okay. Mama love, B-B, B as in boy be as a boy at gmail.com okay beautiful okay so they can reach you at that email for one-on-one mm-hmm. video consult yeah if you don't if you don't live on this island and you need help right. i am here with that email magnificent thank you yeah. so much You're very welcome all right. Um, is there any last little golden insights, tips, Sayaka wisdom that you'd like to pass along to moms that are wanting to navigate breastfeeding? Um, yeah. Anything yeah. Um, something kind of like I had in my mind when you were talking about like the you know misconceptions, but like you know we hear people talk about feed your baby every two hours, every three hours. So people are on the clock, like really watching, you know, like, oh my gosh, it's been two hours, three hours. Um, That is in the case of your baby sleeping all the time. So if your baby is feeding every 15 minutes, you don't have to worry about your baby eating every two hours or three hours, you know, if that makes sense. Like, so, Mm -hmm. so yeah. So like if your baby is eating very often, then forget when your baby ate, like, you know, just feed on demand. And again, same thing, like when you give birth in the hospital, they'll ask you to log how long your baby ate and how often your baby ate. Really, how long your baby ate has nothing to do with how much your baby's eating because my flow and your flow and Susie's flow and Lisa's uh-huh. flow and Amanda's flow, it's uh-huh. completely different. Yeah. Some, people, some girls have discharge, some do. You know, like your body's different. So yeah. if you have a heavy flow, your baby would only need five minutes to latch on and be full. If you have slow flow, your baby's going to have to be on you for 20 minutes. So it's watch your baby, watch your baby's cues. And you, you already do that. You already know how many eyelashes your baby have because you watch <laughs> your baby all day long, right? Like, you're, you, like new moms, they're already obsessed with their babies and watching the baby on tiny, tiny details. 
Yeah. So yes, you are right. You are the you are the person that knows your baby the most. Yeah, like so many moms go to the doctor and listen to what they're saying and all of that, but nobody cares about your baby like you do. I have six kids, but I haven't had your child. I'm not a mother of your your baby, so I don't know about your baby as much as you do. Just because I have six kids, that does not mean that I know about your baby. You know your baby the most,、mm. and you have the best intention for your baby. So believe in yourself, trust in your motherhood, and if you were not in the lineage of the mothers that were able to give birth. And care for the babies, you won't be here. Your lineage would be done, right?、Mm-hmm. So, trust your blood, trust your ancestors, trust your body, and trust your baby, and that your baby is capable of communicating with you.、Mm-hmm. You just gave me the most divine chicken skin, like three <laughs> times while you were speaking right now. Thank you for harping on that and letting that be pretty much the closing of this podcast、yeah. to bring it back to the mothers, the breastfeeding individuals, to remind them that the power is in their hands, that this is their journey, that it's. For them to take charge of that, they are the authority of their lives and their baby's lives. It's up to them to embrace that and that reminder of、mm-hmm. nobody knows you and your baby better than you. To trust that, to not let、mm-hmm. even Sayaka, the most incredibly experienced mother and lactation support individual, override the knowledge that they know within themselves. It's、mm-hmm. you know, it's meant to complement their wisdom. Yes, and at the same time, don't be scared to ask for help. Like、uh-huh. that's 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 the that's the hardest thing、uh, for mothers to let go is to、yeah. receive help. Like it's okay, it is okay that you need help, and you need help. Like you cannot do this by yourself. That's okay. Ask for help. Ask for help, and when people call you up and say, "Hey, what do you need?" They all,、oh, in fact, yeah, this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Ask right.、Okay. Ooh, people want to、yeah. help you. People want to help you. People want to help you. So、yes. tell them what is specifically needed,、yes. <laughs> so they can do it. Here's another、yeah. little tidbit for you, for the whole baby shower things and the baby registries. You know what needs to make it to the top of the list is your lactation consultant. So you can have people donate money so that you can. Later on, pay for lactation support. <laughs> exactly, or、right? home birth at that, yeah. Or exactly, and you're doing it, and and you're、yes. meal prepping, and exactly,、yeah. you can. Yeah, bibs, bib. You don't need bibs, really. You Trust don't. Me, need you don't need bibs. Crib. You don't. Need <laughs> no. The pacifiers.、Like, yeah. You don't a walker. You don't need three walkers. You know, like your baby's、yeah. not going to be close to using that for a while. You know. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Send the shift priorities a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the gifting and the receiving.、Um, yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, mahalo sayaka for your time here. For our listeners, thank you, thank you for staying till the very end of this juicy podcast. I had a lot of fun with this. I hope you guys did too.、Um, as a reminder,、um, along the same lines of what Sister Sayaka just said, that you know you are the、um, one that knows you and your baby best, and please. Embrace that,、um, and yes, we are insightful individuals. We dive into this. We do the reading, the studying, the personal experience with other moms.、Um, 
and we're just sharing that with you of what we've learned along the way. That being said, I encourage you, please do your own research, okay? Do not just take my word for it or Sayaka's word for it. You know, like take what we've said and run with it. Dive into it, you know, question it. Um, I'm here to invite you to really think critically about everything, think for yourself. And again, just kind of claiming your own authority and your own autonomy. So just dive into your own research. That's what I love encouraging individuals to do. <laughs> so yeah, so Yaka, thank you so, so much for your time here today and sharing your wisdom and love and support for- Thank you for having me here. My yeah. pleasure. I love you. Oh, I love you too, sister. Aloha. Aloha.